Hello, everyone. That Wings Guy here for another episode. We are joined tonight by Sheriff. I have to say it. I'm a deputy, so I still have to refer to you as Sheriff, even though you're retired. Sheriff Jerry Parsley. How are you doing tonight, sir? Doing well. Well, if you would, introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, my name is Jerry Parsley. I am the retired sheriff of Clark County, Illinois. Uh, I did my first 20 years, or actually my first 10 years as deputy, my second 10 years as a sergeant. And then I lost my mind and threw my hat in the ring and nobody threw it back out and was elected to four terms as a sheriff there, retired at the end of uh, 2018. Uh, as we used to love to, to remind my sheriff when he would get mad about stuff, like you went door to door and asked for this. Yeah, probably twice. twice yeah. Uh, he was elected seven times. So oh. he, 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 he did it a bunch. I know you said Illinois and mm-hmm. Illinois automatically conjures up images of Chicago. There's a lot of Illinois. That's nothing like Chicago. Most of Illinois is not Chicago. Uh, I am downstate, uh, right along I-70. Uh, I'm about, if, you know, geographically, I'm about eight miles of crow flies from Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, right. Actually, my, I'm right along the interstate, I-70. Right. So, so your area of Illinois would have more akin to Indiana than it would Chicago? Uh, yes, it would. Right. Yeah. Completely different worlds. Altogether different worlds. Completely uh, Which is a good worlds. thing. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I've been to the Chicago Lamb once, and I'm okay if I never go back. Yeah, I don't care if I ever go back. I used to go up occasionally to catch Cubs game, uh, hit the park and ride in the south end of Chicago, ride the L up to Wrigley, and I'll never do that again unless things change, but it probably won't in my lifetime. It's been two stadiums since I've been to a Braves game. If that wow. tells you how, tells you how long, and I live about an hour and a half from where they play. <laughs> so, I, I never saw a game in Turner Field, and of mm. course, I, have, I haven't been to the new place up in Marietta either. Yeah. So, uh, the last game that I saw in person, Fred McGriff hit a home run in the tenth inning in Old Bell Fulton County Stadium. That's been a while. It has been a minute. It has been. A, I haven't watched a major league ball game since two thousand four. So. I like baseball. Well, the I haven't watched whatever year it was, early 2000s, there was talk of a strike that year. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I'm not going to get interested this year because I don't want to be upset if they go into a strike. And I didn't miss it. And so I just <laughs> never have come back. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Now, you were at the Gunside Alumni Shoot this weekend. Is that correct? Yep. Just finished up uh, yesterday evening. Would you explain to the audience what goes on at the alumni shoot? Uh, the Gunside Alumni Shoot, uh, Mr. Cooper always described it as a, a family reunion interrupted by a little bit of gunfire. And that's about it. Uh, but it, it's turned into something pretty large. Uh, we had, I talked to Ken Campbell this morning, and I think there were between 240 and 200 high 240s, I think 240 people there. Uh, we got hit with the monsoon rain about an hour before closing time, right? We got hit about three o'clock, uh, but there was ranges that kept going. And, uh, so it, it was a big deal. And then there's always a big barbecue afterwards. And there's several vendors that, uh, donate things to the, to the gas match. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's just a big, a big family reunion and everybody gets to shoot, uh, the staff go and run 10 different, uh, 
10 different matches, all there's a little bit of thinking involved in it. Uh, but the, uh, and then there's a whole bunch of side matches. You, everybody kind of chips in their money, goes to a side match. You shoot, if you're the top shooter in that, uh, that side match, there's a gun that usually somebody donates, uh, all the companies donate weapons and they get, uh, they win that gun. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, it's a big deal for the, for the instructors. Uh, we all donate our time to run the matches for, for the rest of our family. And, uh, it, it's, it, it's a big deal and everybody really has a good time. You get to see a lot of people that you may not have seen in five years. I've had, uh, students come up to me from back when I was working as there as a provost that, you know, I see a lot of people come and go. And especially with what I do at the Academy, you know, there's hundreds of them and, uh, don't always, I remember faces normally, but names, uh, I don't do very well with that anymore. So it, it's good time. Good time. You know, when you and I first started having conversations about you coming on this show, um, I just want to set the stage for the audience is, you know, we've had numerous shows on the, the, the evolution of the modern technique as it spread across the West coast and the country. We've talked with, with various firearms trainers on things that were taking place in in different parts of the country. And I, I, I've expressed several times that I would love to hear from people that represent areas of the country that we haven't talked to. And because there have to be things that were going on that just people didn't write down. And they didn't publish it, so nobody knows knows about them. And lo and behold, you've answered that call. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> so, so but, but also, let's let's be let's be honest, too. That uh, I called you to have you talk to somebody else about it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and he's so, willing to talk. He just got something going on in his personal life right now that, that that's getting in the way. But yeah, he's going to come on. Still the be, group, so. That'll still be a great conversation. Right. Trust me, it will. Of course, I had a good phone conversation with him. I'm looking forward to having him on the show, and uh, we'll keep that a secret from when he when he arrives. And of course, it'll probably come out in this conversation anyway. So people just have to eventually pay, people have to pay really good attention to that. Um, so you're going to specifically address what was going on in the Midwest, and especially um, the modern technique. Right. So probably I think the largest police academy for uh, municipal and county officers. And there's, there's a couple of the smaller state agencies that send their people there for their basic school. Uh, and um, right now it's 14 weeks. I think this is going to be the last class we have this year. And it goes to 16 weeks starting 2023. But I went through the basic school in 1982 and uh, they're, it was all revolvers. I don't recall anybody in my basic class having a semi-auto pistol. Uh, and we were being taught the modern technique. Uh, I just didn't know it at the time, uh, but we were, uh, because my range master at the Academy, uh, was a range master. And had it not been for him, I mean, I had heard of Jeff Cooper, but I never really, you know, paid a whole lot of attention just to be honest. I was a, young, dumb kid, and, uh, just trying to get a job and get through the school and be able to keep the job. So, uh, but yeah, he, uh, he was teaching modern technique then. Uh, and a lot of what we did, like I said, it was, it was all revolver. Uh, but you know, everybody goes on about the weaver stance. Well, be pretty well. You've shot that in the foot or both feet. 
by now, which is a good thing because it's not what any, really about anybody thought it was. Uh, but our problem that I've come to realize then is most of the recruits that were in that class, we were not issued body armor. Uh, Richard Davis was going around the country shooting himself uh, with a 44 Magnum, and we were all thinking, man, that'd be great to have some of that stuff, but they didn't buy it for us, and nobody that I can recall could afford it unless you were up in one of the burbs up by Chicago, and they issued armor, but none of us pumpkins uh, down in the river bottom really ever got any armor, and the problem with that was, as we all know, you take a broadside shot under the armpit because we were being taught at that time to blade really sharply basically doing having your feet going one way and your body doing a right face to the other we were really bladed off hard and really were driving that elbow down back into the rib cage so it was uh but then that's the way we were taught you did what you were told to do so unlike now right. um, <laughs> yeah so when they're when nobody does what they're told to yes All right. uh, quite a contract would you please specify which academy this was? You mentioned the, the yeah, academy. Yeah, it was the yeah the uh, the police training institute at the University of Illinois. Uh, that is the oldest, uh, actually, academy that is in the statutes of the state of Illinois. Uh, that's run. And it started, I think, in 1955. Uh, I went through there, like I said, in 1982, and uh, it has evolved a lot. When I went through, I think it was 10 weeks, and now it's, it's going to be 16 here at the first year. So, uh, but we, we went through a lot of transitions, uh, and, you know, you don't see a revolver anymore. Uh, but we teach the modern techniques still. kind of went away from it for a while. I go back to gun sights. I was a gun sight the first time in 1990 uh, for 250, and then went back for 499 in 1992, and uh, did pretty well with both those classes. And... Uh, so, uh, you know, learned a lot, uh, took that training back to our agency, but the academy kind of went, I don't know, I'll just use the word a little wonky for a little while. And then we finally, after I started going back and become uh, a staff member at, uh, at Gunsight, why I did my best to poke the real modern technique back into it with the reasoning of why we do it, why we do it, or why we don't do it, why we do it. So kind of working out pretty well because we uh my job my pre predominant job there is working with the remedials uh, i separate them out at firearms four which we have 15 firearms sessions of four hours each and i break them out and take them off to another range and kind of reteach them so works well all right now what was your definition of the modern technique be well i'm i'm an old school gun sight guy uh, so I had to kind of, they, they've kind of evolved over the years. And when I went through to, went through my provost program, uh, started out with Charlie McNeese as my first range master and Charlie's an old school gun sight guy. And I knew that it was going to be the, by the book, or I was going to get the book upside the head. And, uh, I did my best to fulfill that for him. And then, uh, had another one on my second uh, RM was Bill Halverson and Bill is really an old gun sight guy. Uh, so didn't really have to change anything. And then, uh, Jay Tuttle was my last one. He was probably one of my, one of my sponsors, I know, uh, to come on, but, uh, you know, you always ask your RM kind of how you want it done and that's how we'll do it. 
so they don't like surprises in the middle of a lecture to the class. So you try not to disappoint in there. So, uh, but no, I, I, the, the modern technique really, it, like I said, it's evolved a little bit, but not a tremendous amount from what it was when I went through the first time in 1990. Uh, Mike Wadelick was my uh, first range master. Never forgot Mike. Uh, really made a big impression on me as a young kid. Uh, so, you know, and I, uh, I always wanted to go back and I finally saved enough pennies working a couple of jobs uh, in the interim and went back to 499 and uh, had uh, Russ Showers as the RM and uh, Master Chief Herschel Davis as one of my coaches. And Herschel and I, we still stay in contact now. And it's kind of funny because he's working at an academy up, up in the suburbs and I go up there and recertify their MFIs and lo and behold, there he is. And, uh, I knew he was coming, so I took a picture of him as my coach in 92, and I said, boy, how things have changed. Yeah. And, man, this is such a small world. It, it is when you get out in it. it really is. It is. Uh, I've got a good friend in Oklahoma City that uh, his family was, was very directly involved in the investigation of the, the Murrah Federal Courthouse bombing. Mm. And on the other hand, I've got a, a friend, you know, a student from the Terre Haute area that worked at the the Federal Corrections Institute there that guarded McVeigh right up until his execution. Uh-huh. And probably, so, I probably know that guy. You probably do. Yeah, I do. And, you know, so it's, it's kind of, you know, two people, two different parts of the country. I know them because of gun stuff. You know, Tiffany Johnson brought yeah. that up recently about how she and I wouldn't know each other for one for guns yeah. and shooting and stuff. And it's like, I, I know these, you know, this one family and then uh, there's other people on the other end, both connected at opposite ends of that whole incident that they don't know each other, but I've met both of them through firearm training. Right. And, you know, it is it's such a small community. Yeah, but I, I have, uh, it's a very awesome community. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's just, you know, and, and you know, the, the Gunside Alumni Match, it, it is true with you, our family, when you go there right. and you take any class there, you are, you got family all over the country. Right. They're a phone call away if you need some, I guarantee you, because that's, I've already had that happen a couple of times. Yeah, and the reason why I'm asking about your definition of the modern technique is that that people assign definitions to stuff in their head, even though they might not necessarily know what a term or technique. Because I have been told, as you've already alluded to, incorrectly what Weaver was mm-hmm. for over 20 years, and then when I get back as to the original source as closely as I can, found out what I've been told all these years was not correct. Yeah, it, it wasn't. Um, and But who knew right. until you really talked to somebody who knows. Right. Uh, but it was kind of funny. Uh, there was a there was a pretty large poster of Jack Weaver shooting that went up on the block and got auctioned at the uh, the gas match auction. Uh, and of course, all that goes to the Jeff Cooper Legacy Foundation. And, uh, you know, it's uh, what people think Jack Weaver did. All they got to do. Uh, Yep, that'd be the one. Yep. yep. And he's not uh, shooting what everyone describes as the weaver stance. Uh-uh, he's not. <laughs> so I guess that kind of solves that. Right. Well, you know, somebody from the internet would respond to that 
like if he posted that picture on Instagram and called it Weaver, somebody would tell him that he's wrong about what Weaver is. Well, and my grandpa always told me, he said, just because that guy says it, don't make it so. That's right. That's right. And yeah, I wonder if that's why there tend to be so many squabbles in the firearms community. While it is a small and close net and very good. Now, I think we tend to get squabbles because people, like I say, they assign a definition or what they think something is in their own mind. And then they argue from that standpoint and the other person may be doing the same thing and they're both using the same terminology but they mean different things right right and, and you know everybody thinks that gun site they are just hard weaver people uh-huh. uh i will say that's probably true at one time uh but it isn't anymore uh, because if somebody tries to make that argument it's it's kind of you know if you know as bill jean says if you know you know uh-huh. And it, it's one of those things that we want you to fight in a balanced stance, something you can fight from. You don't really hear the I word and you don't hear the W word much. Uh, we'll kind of take a little bit of time to see how you do. Then we'll adjust you according to your body type. But if you can fight standing up, we'll get you there. Um, and if you come into it like that, then there's no bones. It's all good. But we don't really, nobody harps on anything like that anymore. We just want you to be balanced. So that way you can fight in any direction you need to go. Uh, I think that Colonel Cooper and Gunsight and the modern technique take such a beating in the modern gun culture uh, discussions. It's just people just don't don't know what they're talking about. Yep. And they've never been there. Never been. And it's funny, the more and more research and learning that I do in in everything we talk about here on this show and in the training and all, the more I come back to, yeah, you know, Colonel Cooper figured out this, this stuff decades ago it, and we're just proving it. Yep. And Colonel Cooper wrote it all down. Right. That's what a lot of people don't do. They think they're going to remember it and they don't, or it changes right. uh, based on perspective over different events in your life. Things change. And, uh, but he wrote it all down and put it in a text and we're still preaching from it now. Right. And yeah, because he published, that's why we know him and his legacy. Yep. Eloquent writer. Very much. Yeah. Back in the day when there was an editorial filtering, you just couldn't go run to your cell phone and, and immediately get online. Right. So, says a guy sitting in his kitchen broadcasting to the world right now. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which always amuses, which always amuses me is that when people act like because it used to be blogs and now it's podcasts and stuff, they act like it gives them some sense of authority. I'm like nobody like came to me and like recruited me to do this. I just flipped a switch. Yeah, the fact that I put this out doesn't make me an authority on anything. Right. Well, the uh, the technology world, I allow it to pass me by. Uh, thank goodness my wife can do that because she's the one that plugged this all together or else I'd call you from payphone if I could find one. Yeah, that was our initial plan is we were going to do this over the phone. And then yeah, you I'm, yeah, I'm not a, uh, I don't know. Better just quit talking about that right now. Right. It'll go so, bad. So if I remember correctly, the other techniques of the other phases of the modern technique was uh, compressed sight, uh, excuse me, Flashlight picture, compressed yep. surprise break. Yep. 
uh, Weaver, which is now called the Balanced Fighting Stance. For us, yep. Um, and then the other two are skipping right out of my head right now. What were the other two? There were five elements as described in the writing, right? It's uh, follow through is one of them. Mm-hmm. Another follow through. And uh, there's a lot of people that tend to leave some of those things out uh, because they don't understand. A, you got to identify your target. B, you got to get your sight lined up somewhere in that other sight on the back. And then you just don't match the trigger and don't worry about it. Reset, reevaluate it. So it's, uh, if you just do those basic things, you're really not going to have a problem as long as you see it coming ahead of time before it runs over you. So recognizing that there's a problem is probably the biggest thing. Job one, yes. Yeah. Recognition, which uh, is vastly more important than the speed of your presentation. Yep. Uh, I hear you guys talk a lot about the, the, uh, the presentation and that whole time clock thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I try to tell my recruits and, and tell people at the ranch that uh, if you're paying attention, you'll already be two steps ahead of the fight. You just need to finish it if that's what it takes. Uh, but most people never see it coming. Um, and then the best advice we always give you in the mindset lecture is um, the best fight you're in is one you're not at. Right. Uh, you mentioned that that uh, you went through the Academy of the Revolver. Which revolver were you using? <laughs> uh, I started out with a six-inch Model 28 Highway Patrolman Smith & Wesson. And if you couldn't hit them, you could bludgeon them to death for that. <laughs> Because it's heavy, really heavy. Uh, but that that was an awesome pistol. It was a good pistol, but it was big. Um, but especially we're using full magnums in it. Uh, but it, you know, but then, like I said, nobody, the only people that I remember around us uh, was the uh, Illinois State Police. They had the Model 39s and kept transitioning up the number, the dash numbers to two uh-huh. and three. And then they went to the, the 400 series and that. Didn't work so much for me. So I, I got with a 1911 and stayed with a 1911, and I'm still with a 1911. Uh-huh. I might have another pistol or two, but since Sherry's in the room, I only really got three guns. Uh, so <laughs> that's all we need to talk about that. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, were you allowed to use speed loaders then, or are they still mandating dump pouches? I, or lids? We started out with uh, dump pouches. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, I thought it was a great big deal when we got speed strips you could put in your dump pouches mm-hmm. and then uh, started out uh, ended up getting a couple of speed loaders and I run that stuff the first year. Uh, but then I had a good friend of mine that really took me under his wing and got me to shooting. Uh, his name was Ed Barr and he took me bullseye shooting and I got hooked on that 2700 pistol. And, uh, you know, he got me hooked on the 1911 and, it's just been that way ever since. Was that something you, did you, were you mandated that you had to take a revolver through the Academy? And then you no, it's whatever you had. Okay. But everybody just had revolvers. So, uh, uh, but it, it was a different animal because it's a little different loading, you know, as other just dropping a magazine out, shoving one in it. Uh, right. And then I had a buddy of mine that we were high school together, went into the, to the border patrol. Those guys were still carrying uh, loop cartridge carriers mm-hmm. uh, and that was only for a little bit of tack loading 
if you decided you were going to tack load, you fire a couple rounds or three rounds, you, you know, you push your ejector rod up, the empty ones stay up, you pick them out, you get on your loop carrier, shove the next two or three in, or what are you going to do if you're running dry and you use everything else? But, uh, and loop carrier is still a pretty good idea. I mean, we teach, we got back into revolver shooting and teaching uh, at gunsight and it's, it's, it's picking up pretty well. Uh, actually, we're offering one in Indiana uh, next year. So it's a three-day class. It's a, a Revolver 150. But people are going back to them uh, right after they pretty well are going to shoot that 10-round ban in California in the foot. I hope that judge does what he did before. So that'll work out well for them. hope so. Uh, I was designated the last two years as the Revolver guy at TACCON. Uh, by, by Tom Givens, so I was up to speed. I came into this at the very tail end of the revolver era in law enforcement. My, okay. my academy was mixed. We had two agencies that were still uh, revolver mandated for, for their personnel when I went through. Uh, no, my agent was not. We were, we were automatics. But being end of this, I, I soaked up as much of the revolver stuff as I could did in the academy, and then I went back and sought it and learned it, competed with the revolver a little bit in IDPA, and yep. just, just tried to soak up as much of it as I can. You know, it's one of the things, the primary sources of that information are dwindling. And, yeah, uh, it, yeah, they are. Uh, but I, I started out with that Model 28, and then uh, I had a a mentor of mine give me a, uh, a Colt uh, 38 special in uh, six inch barrel. And I still use that pistol. That's got one of the better triggers of revolvers I ever had. So I still do my show and tell my concealed carry class. And if any recruits want to see it, I'll bring it. And we'll talk about it, but you know, it doesn't hurt anybody to know how to run one or better yet, how not to mess it up or what to do with it when you need to change it over. So it's all good. Yeah, I went on a deep, deep path of studying it because I just wanted to keep the information alive. And I wanted to get it from as many primary sources as I could before those sources were not available. And I'm yeah. fortunate that I've got Claude Warner nearby. I've got Tom Givens to always draw on and, yeah. and some other people. And so I've taken as many revolver courses as I could. And I've developed some of my own from, from what I've learned and gathered and read and experimented with and trial and error. And to, to me, the speed loader thing, that's that's for the gun games. Um, but, but it's just because I can't find any really documented instances of somebody actually getting a revolver reloaded in a close range gunfight. And so I've gone from not, I don't typically carry speed loaders anymore if I'm carrying my revolver, unless I'm in a duty gear and a ceremonial function. Right. Uh, I, I carry speed strips in my back pocket. Yep. I always carry it in my right front pocket. But you don't put anything else in that pocket. Right. <laughs> You'll try right. to load your pocket knife. Right. And I, I just gone to carrying this couple of speed strips or usually just one in the back pocket. And I'll put a couple of others where I can get to them later if I need to. And that one is like you said, the tack load. Yeah. And I can see that behind cover or something like that. Maybe drip, dropping a couple of the rounds in. And, and it's also kind of a, uh, an homage to the state qual course for the cops. When I came up as we, if you were shooting a revolver, you had to manually load two rounds into your gun on one of the courses of fire. And yeah. having seen that over and over and over again, I just like doing it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the 1917 revolver. I, mm -hmm. I might have some in my vault uh, at home. Uh, One of the three? Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, 
but it's I, I'm always on a quest to find time correct moon clips. Uh, so that's I mean I I I go scavenging at the gun show at Indy usually trying to go to the old junk spots where you'll run across some uh, some moon clips. Uh, I like the three shot or the full six. That way, when you, if you're if you're using three, you make sure you get it set right, and you're you're firing the three rounds. And if you need to do a speed load, you just pick them right out of there. Works pretty well if you run it a few times and make sure it's going to work for you. So, and and it's kind of funny if you, if you look back, it's like even predating that era or the the modern technique era you know how the technology dictated some of the stuff that was taught then and then as mm-hmm. technology changed sometimes the lessons lag behind and we're still teaching stuff from technology that wasn't as good as what we may have now and i example that my father had a world war ii era mmp revolver yeah and it was actually done for the British Army, it was in the other 38, was it the 38-200? And that was that was later bored out. It came back to the United States after the war, uh, was bored out so that it would accept 38 Special, which is not a 200. Uh, there's a difference in the diameter. Right. If I remember correctly. It'll shoot 38 Specials, but it's not a tack driver with 38 Specials. It doesn't necessarily have to be a tack driver. And I'll, I used to take that gun out and shoot it, and with the hammer forward and double action mode, you can't see the front sight. Oh, really? The hammer the boxes, sticks up so high. Yeah. It's got one of the old fish hook hammers on it and it blocks the front sight. And what, yeah. what, what, what was the doctrine then? You cocked a, a, a single action unless she was like close in point shooting. obviously if that's what the equipment that the people have and that's what they're training on they're not going to focus on the same things that we would focus on now yep and you know people people get wrapped up about colonel cooper and the and the 1911 and some of the say the scout rifle stuff and everything well at the time that that he was writing all that that was the technology that was probably preferred yeah and it had a little bitty bump sights on it Um, and until they got big so you could see them and then you did actually use them, then it it, uh, it, it kind of come around a little bit to where you really need to use them because uh, it, it'll just make all the difference in the world. Uh, of course, it, you know, dots are the big thing now. Uh, I put myself, went to a dot instructor school at the academy because we didn't have anybody on staff. So I thought, eh, for once in my life, maybe I'll get in on the front end of something here. Uh, so a friend and I, we went to the instructor class and then took some other classes and then brought the information back to the academy and uh you know we got recruits showing up with really good stuff and Mm -hmm. have no clue how to use it because they don't have an instructor there but by golly they got themselves a dot so the world is all better now right uh but i ask them start asking them the the questions that i ask them about okay who who set this up for you is zeroed where's zeroed uh what ammo did you zero with and what ammo did you bring for the recruit class of 1500 rounds? So, and they go, I don't know. I go, awesome. We're going to work on that, but I'd rather get them like that. than they get a bunch of garbage thrown at them. That is just going to get them hurt because you don't, you don't look at the sites anymore. You look at the target. So. Yeah. So they're allowing basic cadets to use a dot there in Illinois. Yes. 
Uh, but that's why, you know, we, cause I separate right. them out. I take them with me also. I got half of them on one side of the line and the others on the other. Right. And, uh, and I'll go back and forth with them and I'll give these guys the drills they need to do. Uh, but we make sure we zero them and make them right. understand what this dot is about. Uh, we have a lot of dots kind of coming loose and quitting and maybe we yep. had a time or two, they fell off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, it's, I enjoy the challenge of that. Right. It's, it's actually a lot of fun to me to see their facial expression whenever they start to understand it. It's like, Oh man, this is great. It really is great now, now that I know. Uh, so, I mean, you know, all we're talking about there is their life. So and it's yeah. kind of a big deal. Yeah. I ask that question because here in Georgia, they're not allowing cadets in the basic Academy to use a dot. Yeah. I'm not sure what other academies are doing, but I know what PTI is doing because I'm the one doing it. <laughs> so and I kind of take it serious. So. Yeah. So to me, I don't believe that the, the Academy should be dictating agency gear choices really shouldn't and or policy right. um, because I tell them that's their agency's problem. I'm teaching you how to use this because you brought it. Mm-hmm. And now it's up to you to go back and start asking them some questions, see what answer you get. And then right. usually when they do, we'll get some phone calls saying, uh, can you help us out here? Well, right. sure we can. We'll help you out there and we'll give them some direction to go, but that's their decision, not ours. Right. You know, like I said earlier, I went through an academy that had revolvers in use in the academy class mm-hmm. well they just made sure all the revolver guys were in one group together okay, i don't understand why we can't do that with dots and iron sights now if we happen to split a class into different groups anyway or different relays yep we'll just make sure that that happens well that, and, you know, that's, that's what i do it's the easiest thing unless i get a kid showing up that really knows the dot right. and can tell me what he's supposed to be doing. Right. Uh, I'll, we'll let him stay in with, with the big group. Uh, but right. the rest of them that really don't, I'll separate them out when I do the remedials and I'll have the remedials right. on one side and I'll have the dots on the other and I'll work with them and tell them what I need of them. And then right. they start performing and we go up and we, we read targets and I make them tell me why they're doing mm-hmm. their shot placement where it's at. They, they need to understand all this stuff. Uh, but uh, some days it's a little difficult. Yeah. And, you know, I'm having com- a warring thing going on in my head right now because one career survival thing is telling me not to say what I'm probably going to say anyway. And then the other <laughs> is I, I know what the what the gun community that's not necessarily in the academy law enforcement training community is screaming at their their device right now. And I'll address them first. Um as I try to talk myself out of saying what I really want to say. No, I'm just going to go right there. It's much more simple for an academy just to dictate everybody's going to go iron sights because then they don't have to be good enough to do both. Well, I, I believe and agree with what you're saying, but I guess that we're a little different and we'll, uh, we can respectfully disagree with each other because now you're stepping on my feet. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm saying that from, I can see why an academy would say that. Oh, everybody's going to go iron sights. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. I'm with you. Yeah. My bad. I yeah, because, right, because if 
if you're going to allow dots and iron sights, that means your instructor cadre has to be able to teach both dots and iron sights. Correct. Yeah, I misunderstood what you said. Right. Uh, no, I got it. I got it. And that's the what I, that's going to get me in trouble, but uh, it's okay. I stay in trouble most of the time because of my mouth anyway, and it's just not going to change. Well, <laughs> if you're comfortable with you, that's all that matters. <laughs> I don't know that they're necessarily comfortable with me. I'm just used to me. Okay. Yeah. Well, you got to live there. Right. You're the only one that has to live there. Right. Yeah. And to some extent for the, for the individual firearms training world is they tend to see things through that lens. Yeah, they do. Uh, but, but to me, uh, when we first dove into this, I mean, I, I put myself through the instructor class and you know, that's not a cheap venture. Right. Uh, but they're, they're pretty supportive of about anything that we want to do as long as we get together and, you know, kind of explain why it's important. And, and to me, personally, I would rather them shoot the iron sights, learn that way, and then step up to the dot. But then it's a complete 180 on target focus or site focus. Uh, because I never, when I was sheriff, I never let any of the guys use any kind of optics on their carbine. I made them learn it and prove to me that they could shoot it with the sights that come on it. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, it'll be iron sights and cockroaches. It's all that's left. Uh, everything else is going to break or fall off or just quit working. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, but here again, you know, when you got young people who've never had a gun in their hands, and I have a yeah. lot of them that come through that never shot right. a weapon. They're scared of it. Uh, they're scared of us. Uh, Cause. Uh, well, yeah, I won't go any farther with that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have to get, or at least I believe uh, that we have to give them ever advantage to win when they're already behind at the beginning. Does right. that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so absolutely. because they're going to be looking at what's going to hurt them anyway. So why not just push the dot between them and then press right. that, that is just to me is fairly simple. Uh, but you know, target focused is, is a good thing because if it's changing in the middle of it, you can see it changing. Right instead of being glued to the front end of the pistol and maybe not see it change. And then things get a little cloudy. And it's so much of the dot that comes with the setup and the maintenance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we're going to run into more trouble than anything else with it. That's where we have the biggest problem is plates or direct Mm -hmm. mount or, you know, just quality of dots and everything's apt to, to, to take off on you or just quit. Uh, but you know, we don't, we, we tell them don't bring a couple of certain dots because they won't last the first week. And we, that's been pretty well true to form. Uh, but you know, and you know, the, the two biggies are Trijicon and Hollow Sun and, and, uh, you know, but everything can fail. It's man-made. It, it just is what it is. So, uh, but we do our best, especially with the whole adaption of the plate. And this, yeah. you're always, it's, it's always something going to be failing. So, uh, yep. In a pistol mounted optic instructor course last week, which I shot left handed because I'm still not back to being able to use my right handed yet, I saw an yeah. optic fly off of a gun in an instructor level class. Well, 
it happens. Right. Better there. Right. And it's it's there. it's the setup that they begin. And the funny, I went to my truck and grabbed a spare pistol mounted optic pistol that I had with me and bought it so that guy could finish the rest of the class. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, I, people on the internet, you know, they want to say how I'm anti dot. Well, okay. I <laughs> I I have four optic mounted pistols there and was able to provide one for someone else to finish the class. Obviously I'm not anti or wouldn't have that much invested yep. in it. It wouldn't be at yet another class with the dot. With the dot. Because that's the yeah. as you're saying, I want to be where if I have a student that shows up with it, I have to be able to teach it mm-hmm. and understand mm-hmm. it. That's a little tricky because people show up with some poop. Right. Uh, and it, it's and you wonder why in the world they made that decision. Mm-hmm. And then they, after about the first day or two, if it's a, if it's a pretty intensive class, they wonder why they made that decision. Uh, but yeah, I always carry a bag of guns with me whenever I'm teaching mm-hmm. anywhere because something's going to take poo, or a part's going to break, or it's going to wear out, or it's just a piece of junk to begin with. Right. Uh, and, and you know, and it's it's one of the differences in teaching cops and private citizens is that if you're teaching a group of cops, you're the students are going to pretty much show up with serviceable gear. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the best in all cases, and not always serviceable. Pretty much, they're going to show up with at least a respectable holster and a somewhat respectable quality duty gun, mm-hmm. and everything. And in the private sector, you don't know whatever's going to show up. No, I, you know, with with your semi-auto pistols, magazines are a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, bet- between the academy. And and gun sight, you know, you've got you've got a captured audience mm-hmm. at the academy. They got to be there. Right. Uh, you have you have uh, clients that you're working for at gun sight because mm-hmm. they're coming there to learn a skill set, and that's our job to teach them. Uh, but but they don't always look at the information that they get from the office first on what not to bring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have a lot of folks that'll bring a lot of bad things that kind of get them in trouble or get them hurt. And there's yeah. a, there's a holster that we won't allow you to have on the line at one time. Uh, we were told, uh, make it inoperable and then they can use it that way. But then we still had a couple bad things happen. Uh, little, little owie here and there. You figure that out on your own. Uh, <laughs> But uh, that's not even allowed anymore. We don't even let them have. We say you show up with that or some other piece of crap. Yep. Head up to the pro shop, get a decent holster where you're not going to get hurt or get anybody else hurt that week because it's right. it, it's a hard five days. Yeah. All right. Let's let's shift gears back to the academy and uh, you've gone through the academy, everything, and then what was going on in the Midwest? What drove the training? in your area of the country throughout that time frame? Uh, that's a hard one to answer because I really probably, I give you my guess, but I don't really know. Uh, but the police training Institute is where most of the municipal and County guys came to get trained as instructors to take back. And, uh, you know, we, we have a, have a program that's called the master firearms instructor program that you it's a three class thing. And then you come back 
it's, it's a three 40 or 44 hour weeks between uh, instructor class, uh, a tactics and strategy class, and uh, uh, a tactical firearms class. And the TAC class is a lot of shooting, a lot of moving, and it's, it's a busy week. Uh, the instructor class is where we do our best to teach you to teach somebody else. Uh, so after we get the basic instruction over with that, that first part of that week, then we pair them up and it's, it's all coach pupil. And that's where they learn to polish off their, uh, I'll call it, uh, I call mine, my line of Blarney. Uh, but it's just, it's just, we're ha- we're helping them learn a process for them to teach other people. Uh, so it's, it's a, I'll say an instructor trainer, but that really doesn't even fit it right either to, in my mind. But, you know, we, we listen to your jargon. We try to smooth you up a little bit and uh, kind of stay to the point. But it, it's a good class, too. And then we, you know, you'll work with, uh, you'll work with uh, one of the other guys in the class. And then we'll have you switch after a couple hours. And you start working with somebody else. And you may know them and you may not know them. Because, like I said, we, we go from the Wisconsin border to the Iowa border to the Indiana border to the Kentucky border. And Illinois is a long state. So, uh, it's, uh, we, we get them from all over the state. So it's, uh, we try to make, make them into the best we can before we get rid of them. We only got so long to do it. So we kind of boil it down to what's important. Uh, and then you have to pass different qualifications, uh, to get it before you're a state certified firearms instructor. And you're only, you're only really good to your own agency because you can't teach anybody else you have to go through a whole nother process to be an instructor trainer, like what, what myself and the rest of the, uh, the teaching cadre is at, at, at the Institute. And, uh, and that's a, you know, John Bowman come up with all that way back in the day. And, uh, and it's, we're trying to carry it on as best we can. We've we're, we're it's evolving and we've changed a few things to what's a lot more pertinent now than what it was in 1980. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've thrown a couple things in that we're going to start teaching recruits. And then we had a bunch of uh, really good seasoned officers. We ran them through it this last week. Uh, the Tuesday before I left on Wednesday was a, uh, the firearm saying the tactic strategy, and we started running them through it. And I'm looking at the other instructor, and I'm saying, uh, I don't know about you, but this does not appear to be working to me. Uh, they're doing what we're telling them off the syllabus to do, but it's not, it's just not working right. And I don't know that we need to be doing this right now because we got a bunch of guys out there that know what they're doing and they all do because I've had them all in classes before. So I trust what they're doing. And, you know, the other instructor looks at me, he says, dude, I'm glad you said that because we don't need to be doing this. So we're going to keep having to tweak it and tweak it and tweak it until it works. But we had guys getting off their feet trying to take on two guys at 15 yards. And, and I looked at them and I go, fellas, any of you people ever heard of that whole new hall thing? And they're looking at me like I got two heads. And I said, well, put it in your Google box and it'll tell you everything you need to know. Uh, Cause I'm not explaining it to you now. You, that's your homework assignment. But I said, yeah. we don't need to be getting off our feet at 15 yards with people that can flank us or right. we completely lose sight of. Mm-hmm. So we need to be bailing out and getting away and creating distance. And so, you know, it's, 
I'll be honest. I mean, it's a trial and error thing. And, you know, we kind of wondered if the guys, you know, were going to give us kind of a smackdown on it. But I think in my mind, if we see something that in theory was going to work and then it didn't, that, that just lends a little credibility to the program. It's like, dude, we can't do this and we shouldn't be doing this. So we're going to stop it uh, after five people of 20 and go, we're not going to do this anymore. This, this is not anything we need to be doing or you need to be doing. So we can't set them up for failure, but it was kind of a good, and I, you know, for all practical purposes, I said, fellas, I appreciate your guinea pig run for us because if you guys are having problems with this, most of you have been on 10, 12 years. We can't put people who have had this job for two weeks and expect them to get this because they're not. They just, right. I mean, some lessons you got to learn the hard way, Lee, and you know that, yeah. uh, but you hope you don't get killed in the process. So, so we just pulled the plug on it. We're going to revamp it and keep working on it till we get it right. Now, do firearms instructors in Illinois, do they have to complete the entire master firearms instructor program before they're able to teach? Or is, they, is that something for like a continuing education for already existing instructors? No, the, the, uh, the MFI program actually is set up and has been from the get-go. Uh, it is three separate classes. But when you compile them all together and then come back and do an internship and teach on the line with the recruits, then and then you you know you pass with a passing score, uh, then that's what gives you your MFI. And you have to recertify and come back and do teachbacks every three years. Uh, so you're you're going to stay you're going to stay pretty current. But with the whole right. COVID thing, you know that three right. years turned into six, and right. you know I got one guy that that came back and had been there for seven years, and I go okay, here's a book. You need to look at this book and we need to talk about this book uh, because we've changed a lot in seven years. Uh, we don't discard magazines on a double feed clearance anymore. Uh, we try to keep that ammo. So, uh, and that's to me, that's been changed a long time. He was throwing it to the wind. So we don't do that. So, uh, but then I said, well, you come back and we'll work it out. We'll make it happen. So, but yeah, it, you can be, you can take the, uh, the initial firearms instructor class and you're good to go teach at your agency, but that that's the limit. Right. You can't go outside your own fences. So, but then when you come back, then you still have to get certified. Even if you're an MFI through the state, through the uh, training standards board to, uh, to teach at an academy level or an instructor trainer position. Okay. You know, two things about that that I find interesting, and you know, just 50 states, 50 different ways of doing things. Um, you know, that one thing that about this strikes me from an from instructor side that I like is the emphasis on getting better at teaching individual students. Because most of what I see from the institutional firearms instructor school side is it's a two week class on learning how to administer course of fire grade targets tell you all about how all the liability ways you're going to get sued <laughs> etc but there's no little or no time spent on actually diagnosing coaching and teaching individual shooters i had to go outside of law enforcement into the private sector world and the open enrollment world to really get a handle on that well we uh we have a set of cards that we split them up two relays you're the student and you're the coach so you either get a blue card or a yellow card. And the, the guy running the, the line that day, he'll say, okay, 
the guys with the yellow cards, get your card out. I want you to do number 14. And we only give them one thing to mess up to see if the, the coach can catch it. Uh, and if they can't, we'll just go stand and bore a hole in him and never say a word until he's either more worried about what we're going to do or he finally finds it. Uh-huh. Uh, but then after a while, we'll start compounding the problems. Uh, but it, it works pretty good. And then, you know, some of these guys, they don't catch it. Uh, because they're not all that good themselves sometimes. So good enough is, which good enough is not. You need to be good-ish, uh, but you can't be bad. So, but we we kind of make them, and I, what I tell everybody when I'm doing that block of instruction is, look, you need to start at their feet, work your way to the top of their head, and tell us or tell him what he's doing wrong or what he can do better. And that's, uh, but you've, you've got to allow that personal perspective in there. Um, so when we go through and I'll kind of clean everybody up because I don't really like running the line. I like working the line and finding all these little bitty things that will make a shooter better or at least more competent. Uh, and then when you kind of bring it up, they go, I didn't even know I was doing that. I said, well, obviously, cause you're still doing it. So, uh, but it's, we and like I said, this has been going on at the MFI program. Uh, when I went through in 85 to get my MFI, I mean, I've been on the road a couple of years, three years maybe, uh, got sent to school. And I don't remember the cards. I'm not going to say they weren't there, but I can't remember the cards then. Uh, but we, uh, But the emphasis was on teaching the new teacher to look for these things, to try to identify them and then do whatever you need to do to fix them. And here again, personal perspective, but, you know, we all know that, well, I'm going to say, okay, that's a dumb thing to say. We don't all know. Uh, But in my experience is when you look around, you have the subject matter, you have the information needs to get out there, but you either have somebody that has a teacher personality that people want to listen to uh, because the first time I went through a class and I was teaching and I was doing my lecture part and I was doing a lot of hands-on with my lecture. Nobody said anything. I didn't get any facial expressions. I really didn't get anything. And I thought, Oh my God, they're going to kill me in a little bit uh, or they're all asleep. And then I give them a break and they're all coming up and want to dive back into the problem while they're on their break. And I go, no, we'll address that in a little bit. You need to take a break. You're, you know, that whole, whole, uh, mind thing and the bottom thing when you're sitting on it it's it's uh, it's a weird dynamic but you know you got to get off of it every once in a while but and then i you know you just don't know sometimes what they're thinking and i always say listen if you've got something comes to your mind you got a question you got to ask it because probably four or five other people and it may be a new twist because i've learned a couple things based on a question that i got that uh it's like you know i never looked at that like that but that's a good one We'll have to factor that in and maybe I can do a little bit better explaining it. So that question doesn't arise. So, but it's the, ever, the best questions lead to the best answers. It, if you think about them a little bit, yeah. uh, if you don't, and then uh, it gets kind of goofy, but uh, you know, I had really good teachers uh, when I started to copping, especially on the range, uh, had awesome guys, awesome range master. Uh, 
And then as I kind of progressed through things, uh, I went to work teaching after I got my uh, instructorship there through the mobile training team, uh, which is a regional nine county, I think nine or 10 counties, mobile team 13, uh, and started teaching the, uh, the basic 40 hour uh, qualification. And it was, it's a week long process. But when I started, I, it was 24 hours for me. Uh, so, you know, we started that and then, you know, we just, people just kept coming and it is awesome. And we started uh, doing a little bit of, uh, a little bit of advanced stuff. Um, and you may have heard of Clint Smith. Don't know whether you have or not, but I'll, yes. I'll bet you have. Yep. Uh, he had a travel and road show back the day out of Fort Wayne. And I got sent to school there with him and brought some stuff back. And, uh, you know, then the whole gun site adventure for me or pilgrimage, I guess is a better word for me because I'm, you know, I drank Kool-Aid big time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but it's just for me and all the guys that, you know, I'm just, I'm just happy as I can be to be even with a bunch of the guys at gun site that I work with. Uh, so, I mean, I'm a very blessed person there. Uh, so I, but it's just a constant, you know, I think we've talked before, uh, a constant searching for me to get better and to teach these kids better that absolutely know nothing at all about anything. And, you know, you hooked me up with Wayne, that was a good call for him and I both, uh, cause we're talking to each other about our and just so we kind of know the, the ground we're on together. And he said, why are you calling me? I said, because this guy named Weems told me to. And uh, so he said, well, I need to be calling you. You've been longer than I have. And I go, that, that's not comforting to me, but thank you for saying so. But I mean, I think it's a way we communicate uh, with these new police officers. Mm-hmm. You can't communicate them like the old guys communicated to us. Uh, there may have been a whacking in the back of the calf or the back of the head. If uh, mm-hmm. just to make sure you were awake, you can't, you can't do that. Uh, right. But it's just, it's a communication thing uh, that that's, that's the quest I'm on is to, to better communicate. Cause truthfully, Lee, and I, I've told you before, I know, or I'm pretty sure I had, or I tell most everybody said, listen, this whole teaching thing is just me BS and you into what I want you to do. And you do it. That that's all this is. Uh, and it's, it's a very, very basic form. It's just me trying to BS you into doing what I want you to do. So I got to get better at, at talking and communicating and wanting them to want to do what I ask them to do. And, you know, that's, that's the thing I figured out between males and females. Cause we got a lot of gals coming through. You go on the line, you demonstrate a skill and you talk them through the skill. The guys will do what you do what they see you do and the girls will do what you ask them to do. It's completely different. And only took me like a year or so to figure that out. But when I did, it's like, ah, the light went on and it got a lot easier for both of them, them and me, because I need to talk to them a little bit different. And I need to make sure that when I do a a demonstration of a skill set, that I don't leave anything out. I do it slow enough. They can see it. But if I talk the girls as I'm doing it, they'll do what I ask them to do. And it, it just got a little weird on me when that, that bell went off in my head saying, wow, I may learn something today. But it did make it easier, honestly. 
Yeah, you, you stumbled into there. What, what I was going to ask about is like the second thing with the program that impressed me was the recertification process that is built in requires an ongoing continuing education. And like here in my state, that's not required. As I went through the mm. firearms and training firearms training school in 2003 is when I was initially certified as an instructor. I could have never sought out any other education or training in firearms and could still be teaching what I remembered from the firearms instructor school mm-hmm. and just so, doing that without any progression, ever getting any better, ever being exposed to new information, never evolving with technology, any of that. Or and just you, a better technique. Right. And yeah, you touched on so much of that very eloquently and I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Well, that was a complete accident. I'm <laughs> So I'm not trip over anything. (laughs) No, Uh, you know exactly what you're doing. But I, uh, but with that whole program though, you know, you, it used to be that we went through everything we changed in that three years and covered everything else and then go back in and you go out and you shoot a qualifying score of 430 out of 500. You have to shoot sharpshooter to pass the, the, pass the course. Uh But whenever I took it over, it's like, you know, why are we not having them teach or do a teach back of a skill set? I don't know that these guys can teach anything. Uh, and I got that from uh, Charlie McNeese, uh, my first provost class, because he, uh, he drug me in and right off the first day in the first 30 minutes, he said, son, I don't know whether you can teach. And you're going to be doing a lot of teaching for me this week, because if you can't teach, we won't be having lunch together. So I, uh, I got, I paid attention after that. So it's like, why are we not having these guys do a skill set back? And so we've, uh, we started that and, uh, some of these guys, they, uh, you think they're going to have a heart attack there before they get up and do their little dog and pony show. But, you know, once they get going, you know, I said, look, you're among friends that are going to be terrible critiquers on you. So just do your best because they're going to tear you apart no matter what. Uh, but it, it does help. And then we're just about to change that over because it was all dry inside. And uh, with the next class uh, recertification I do in December with, with the new class or the, uh, the uh, recertifications, I get a class in December. Uh, we're going outside and they're going to have to teach you back for live fire. So I bet that'll bunch up their britches whenever they go outside and I tell them that because it'll be the first time so uh so it'll be fun for me so they're only there for my amusement anyway so it's okay yeah well you mentioned a name that was very pivotal pivotal in setting up this whole MFI program that was Mr. John Bowman yep would you take a moment to talk about him Oh, uh, it's going to take more than a moment, but I'll, I'll be as brief. As much as you want, as much as so, you want. So, no, I, uh, but John uh, made a, a huge impression on me. Uh, I rolled into class one day, and we're getting ready to start class. And he said, everybody sit down. Got some things need to read to you. So we're sitting there and I'm thinking it's going to be something important or, you know, life-changing for me. And little did I though it really was because he had just got his brand new off the press copy of uh, Gunsight gossip in the mail at the range. So we spent the first probably 40 minutes of him reading Mr. Cooper's thoughts for the month 
uh, to the entire class. And it's like, oh, man, this is awesome. I didn't really realize the significance that it would play for me, you know, especially, what, 40 years later. Uh, so and it's like he was a very dynamic teacher. Uh, you know, we, we all get that instructor handled because it sounds pretty good. But at the end of the day, we're all teaching people to do things that we truly believe in our heart of hearts that is going to make a huge difference for them. And, and I do believe, I do believe that. Uh, but John was very outspoken. Uh, and I don't know if, if you ever have a conversation with Jerry McCown. I, I, I bunk in the same house with Jerry a lot when, when I'm out there and he's a huge mentor of mine and we sit down at the table before school starts that day. And then that night when we get done at gunsight and I just get stories from Jerry, it's like, Oh dude, don't, don't poop out on me. I want to keep going. I want to hear this, but yeah, we got to go to bed sometime. But, um, uh, but John was very, a dynamic person. He was a provocative guy because if he thought it, you were going to hear it. And if he thought it, he would tell you why he thought it and why everybody else was wrong. And, and Jerry told me more than once, all Bowman had to do was go to the Scots and him and Jeff would be into it. And it's like, uh, well, that, that's good to hear. <laughs> but, but John was a good teacher, had, had become a really good mentor. And uh, I don't say that I tried to emulate some things that John did because I really, I, I haven't, but one thing he did tell me, he said, listen, if you're going to do this, you can't put them to sleep. They got to stay awake. So, uh, you just need to do what you need to do to keep their attention. And, uh, I don't know that I have much of a problem putting them to sleep. Uh, still trying to talk them into doing some things that may not know they want to do, but they're going to do them <laughs> one way or the other. But, uh, but no, John, and, and I, I talk to John occasionally now, uh, and I, I don't know how he rode the storm out uh, down in Florida, but I'm, I'm hoping okay, uh, because I don't think there was a whole lot of okay there. Uh, I think he either made it or he, the way it sounds, he didn't, but I hope his, uh, his place wasn't damaged because we have friends that lives that they have, have property and they lived in Fort, at Fort Myers quite a bit of the year. A couple of guys went to school with their close friends of mine and they pretty well were untouched, but a block up the street was just, it's level to the ground yeah. and good Lord doesn't ever, he don't have to explain himself. He just does yeah. what he does and you just have to hope the best for you. So, but no, John was uh, a, a, just a fabulous teacher uh, because you always got the how come to everything uh, that way, if you had a question, it was probably either a really dumb one, which we all say there are no dumb questions, but that's not necessarily true uh, because occasionally there is a dumb. Mm -hmm. But he always tried to work out everything in his presentation uh, that would leave you with everything you pretty well needed as long as you put it in practice. So that's, that's what I tried to do and tried to kind of emulate some of the things that he did. Uh, but I don't get twisted up quite as much as he did, but, uh, but he still got a fire in the belly. I know that at least he did a couple of weeks ago. So, um, but then, uh, you know, here again, though, my time out there started with Mike Wadley. Mike Wadley was a huge, huge instructor out there. Uh, 
uh, and just a nice guy. Uh, just you just wanted to go out and work hard for him that week. Uh, and that was in my basic 250 class. Uh, I think the other coach was Larry Larson, uh, but he was gone half the time because he was working on the mausoleum behind the scones. So we'd never seen him. He'd start the morning and then he'd disappear. And he'd maybe come back to start the afternoon after lunch. And, uh, you know, there were a lot smaller classes there then. I think there may have been 10, maybe 12 of us, something like that. So, you know, everybody was on the line together. Uh, but now we're running two full lines out there a lot. And you have a 250 class. I know, I think maybe next week or the week after, there's a triple 250. Uh, that's a logistical nightmare for, for the, you know, the guys is trying to, get everything plugged in for everybody for the simulators indoor and outdoor and in the night shoots and things like that. But, uh, a lot of people come to gun site. A lot of people want to be there. They, they work hard. Uh, and I know they leave better than when they came. Uh, you know, at least, you know, the big thing is mindset there. A lot of places don't teach mindset. They just teach you to go do something, but they don't tell you why it's important to you. And you need to be paying attention just a little bit ahead of time. Just don't go to sleep. You'll be fine. So, but yeah, it's, uh, what changed my life? I can tell you that right now. So that's a good thing. Is there anything you would like to talk about, but I have failed to ask you about? Oh, there's a lot of stuff we could probably talk about. I I don't have anything in particular, uh, but it's not a fun world out there anymore. No. Nope. And your mind is your biggest weapon uh, and your eyes and your ears. So don't take anything for granted is, is what I, what I tell these recruits all the time. I said, your life has got to change because of this, because if it doesn't, you're going to be food and that's just, somebody's going to eat you. And you're not even going to know it's you're not even going to know it before it's already over with, and then you realize you got a problem. And it's too late. Uh, you know you're you're carrying, you got real people you deal with, you got real guns and real bullets. What could possibly go wrong, right? So uh, it's uh, it's an important part of my life, and and you know I've been having discussions with my wife. I don't know, you know, I'm not a, an old old guy by any means, but I'm not a young guy either. And I've done some goofy stuff that I, you know, the hindsight thing, but I've learned a lot from it because I ain't dead yet. So I, uh, I try to try to educate the young ones on my mistakes that could have gotten me killed pretty quick. Uh, and, you know, I lived through one, took care of the issue. Not a big deal now. Well, that's not true. It is kind of a big deal now. Uh, I tried not to let it be, but I've got recruits that call me back uh, and get with me when I'm at the academy that I've got a couple now that that did their job and took care of the problem. And, you know, I, I feel good about that. And the way I put my uh, my guilt trip on these new instructors, Lee, is I said, you you owe them your best. You're taking other people's money to teach them. You owe them and they deserve your best. Because if they go out and do something fabulous and they solve the problem, you're going to own a little piece of that. And they're always going to have a little piece of you with them. And if you were lazy and a slug and just do good enough and something happens to them, 
you better have enough conscience that you're going to own a piece of that too. And I tried never ever to, to lay down on because I'm always trying to, well, you know, we've talked in the past, so always try to get that different angle, a little bit different wordage to get mm-hmm. to some of these kids that don't know anything really about anything. They just don't have any life experience. Um, but it's, I don't know, I hate to use the word, it's a passion for me, but I guess it is because I still get kind of wrapped around the axle on some of that stuff. Uh, But I I want them to succeed. I don't want them to have that bad day. It's going to be bad enough anyway. So I don't want them to have that bad day. So you know what I'm talking about. I'm sure you do. Uh, It is so hard to try to translate and impart to, especially like basic academy, type or beginning type students what the reality of it's going to look like because people tend to have i guess from tv and movies and everything or whatever they've got this this image in their mind of what a gunfight looks like or what a fight for for the life looks like and while i'm not anything like that right and while i've not (laughs) actually been in an exchange of gunfire i've been in quite a few situations where the guns were out the you know and everything and it was just it was waiting for the whistle to blow or the buzzer to go off and it's uh they don't evolve the way that you pictured them evolving uh no you haven't uh i have and it's over before you're thinking about it and if you train properly Mm -hmm. uh you will remember certain things yep um and then you can train for things and work on things. And then when it comes down to it, right. uh, some of that stuff doesn't happen. Yep. It, uh, I don't, I didn't hear anything. I just yep. felt the recoil and the buffer in my car being racking again, my shoulder. I could hear yep. the buffer spring slamming back and going forward, slamming back and going forward. I'm thinking right. I built this, this piece of crap ain't working. Yep. And then I'm looking out there and it, it did work really well, yep. but you can't, it's different for everybody. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's things that you can try to prepare for that are going to be different, but I guess that's why, you know, I always, I've had four or five instances in my life and I use the words, God taking care of a fool. Uh, yep. That's me. Uh, come out pretty fortunate. So uh, but you're try try to make sure they understand reality, okay. and any any preconceived notion they have about any of it is wrong. Mm-hmm. It just wrong. Uh, so I guess maybe I I kind of picked it up a little bit after that happened about being a little more serious about particular things. Um, but. It, it's kind of hard to figure out how to reach some of these people. And that, that's my biggest challenge now, I think. Uh, and that's really, you know, when, when I talked to Lane, he goes, you know, he said, I'm a little closer to age to these people than you are. Uh, you know, cause occasionally with some of them, I'm, I'm Sheriff Pappy to them, but, uh, but th- that's okay. I'm, I, I, I'm good with it, but, uh, but they, they, they really do. They listen and they work hard and, and I appreciate their hard work. And I always tell them, I said, look, I know this is not easy for you, and we're teaching you to do something that by nature we shouldn't be doing, but it matters to me that you got somebody at home 
uh, and I'm just going to say it, that you're willing to kill to get back to, because at yep. the end of the day, that's what it boils down to if it's worst case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 in the first time I heard somebody say, I was doing a meth awareness thing at a library for a bunch of older ladies at a library in one of the towns in the county that I was sheriff in. And this one old gal, she, she decided she was going to pop up and say, I'm telling you right now, Jerry, I would, I'm willing to die to protect my kids. And before I even thought, I said, well, that's the stupidest damn thing I ever heard. And then all of a sudden I heard it out loud the same time they did. And it's like, uh Oh, I'm in trouble. And I said, but, and, and what I mean by that is this, if you die trying to protect them, you're not protecting them. You're sacrificing yourself. And then you hand them over Mm -hmm. willingly in my mind, you got to be willing to kill or to do what you got to do to stop that problem from happening. Therefore you truly are protecting your kids. So I, I, I threw a life jacket on as quick as I could. And, uh, and she came up and gave me a hug later, so I knew she wasn't mad at me. But it's like, oh, dude, you got to fix that. You can't do that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I thought I just shot myself in the foot. So, But that's at the end of the day. That's, that's what it is. You've got to be willing to kill to get back to the people you love that love you. And, and you know that the context just changes. Well, not necessarily, I guess the historical context changes so quickly. Or the time frame context changes so quickly. Um, I was teaching a carbine class to our agency earlier this year on the 25th anniversary of the North Hollywood shootout. Uh, okay. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I do. But to cops that are 30 and younger or 35 and younger, you know, this they were 10 years old when it happened. Yeah. Or go back to the Miami shootout. It's another. Right. And, you know, uh, but like I'm, but I'm not on the line with my, you know, the guys today is the 25th anniversary of the North Hollywood shootout. And I got blank looks mm-hmm. back. At no, I, I believe it. You know, and it's just, okay, well, I, I've got to find a way to communicate to these guys, you know, what I'm talking about here well, because I, they don't have that frame of reference. Yeah. But I, I tell all the kids, uh, you know, I go in and I, you know, we, we give our, in, our instructor intros and, you know, I tell them I'm a, I'm a range master at gunsight. And I said, any of you ever heard of gunsight? And once in a while I'll have some, I'll have some Marines. They know about gunsight. Uh, you know, there's uh, gunsight is just lousy with Marines of one rank or another. Uh, so uh, they, they understand a little bit because some of their training came from gunsight, mm-hmm. but I said, okay, all you people, get on your Google box, put in gun sight and just, that's all you put and you hit the go button. And I get a few chuckles because I try to be as uh, techno ignorant as I can. Uh, it's just my way of letting them have a little bit of an upper hand for me. Cause all they use is their thumbs. Therefore they have no purpose for their fingers unless they're picking their nose. Yeah. So, uh, I can't do my thumbs. So, but I, uh, I blend in a lot of humor and I'll, I'll pick on a couple of them a little bit, the good natured way, but always turn it into a training point. And I said, and this is why it's important to you that you understand this because hopefully it'll keep you from getting dead. So, uh, but we have pretty good success and knock on wood. I've been at the Academy. I was there 18 years in May and I took over the remedial program probably 10 years ago. 
and I have not lost a recruit to the basic state qualification. Can you hear that knocking? Mm-hmm. That's on wood. Yes, sir. Uh, yet. And I come real close this last class, but I'll tell you, I said, boys, just work on the basics. Do yep. this, this, and this. Don't think about anything else. These are the only three things you do. Yep. And for some reason, the Almighty was smiling on us all that day, and they passed it. So There you go. There you go. Uh, you, you mentioned Lane a couple of times. I'm just going to tell uh-huh. you, that, that's Lane Thayer. Uh, yep. to everyone out there uh, lane actually was in dave spalding's final class through his business this past week uh, you know because he's always out there uh, uh, pushing through and trying to learn more and get better as well and i uh, just wanted to, you talked about trying to teach the younger generations well you know dave has been a guy that's been a mentor to me and I'm, I'm happy for Lane to get out there. And um, I just want to close out tonight, um, or before we close out tonight, just just taking a moment to pay homage to Dave Spalding and uh, everything that he's meant yep. to me and everything that he's meant to the firearms community. Dave wrapped up his uh, handgun combatives business. He's dissolved the LLC. He just mm. taught the last class, you know, through the LLC. Dave's still going to teach. He's just not going to run a business. Sure. <laughs> So, you know, and, and you know, yeah. Dave Spalding is, is a huge icon in, in this, right. this industry or sport, however you want to All look right. at it. But right. uh, there's a lot of guys that I know I probably won't get to do, but I'm trying All to right. pick one off a year now. Yeah. But since, since, you're, since you're paying homage to him, I, I've got to finish up with me um, this, past, this past May. Um, I got, uh, got the word that I was going to be checking out for range master gun site, which is a huge deal because my mm-hmm. whole plan was to be the oldest living coach out there. Yeah. Uh, but that didn't work out for me, but I, uh, through however it was, uh, Ed head got assigned the proctor for me mm-hmm. and I proctored under Ed head for my range master and out there yeah. we call doing your, doing your check, right. Uh, and, uh, that was a big shock because I just spent, I, I coached for him a couple of times last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome man. A, a very good talk about a mentor because when I was coaching for him, we'd sit down and chit chat a little bit. And he told me, he said, you know, you're, you're probably going to need some of this. So you need to remember some of this here for the next couple, three years for you. Cause uh, you, you're probably going to want to bump up the food chain just a little bit. But he said, there's some things you need to remember. Uh, and then lo and behold, uh, he gets assigned me, uh, and I was the last check ride he did for a, a range master gun site. And, oh, wow. you know, we, we wish him Godspeed. Uh, they're going to have a memorial for him. I think next Saturday on the eighth at, uh, at gun site in the classroom. And, uh, that was a little bit of shock cause I sure did not expect that, but, yeah. um, what, you know, the, I just can't, you can't say enough about some of these guys who have devoted 30 years uh-huh. to, to teaching the modern technique, to teaching it Jeff Cooper's way, but yet having enough foresight to be able to understand that it has to evolve. It has to grow. And there's just certain things when they become better, uh, you know, there's a, a little bit of uh, good spirited sparring at a, at a range master conference, whatever they have them. Uh, they had this one this this past year, January, and, you know, a few things come out of that that changed, and I think 
in my opinion, which is doesn't mean anything to anybody but me, uh, some better things come out of it for the modern technique because I don't know that the modern technique has an expiration date on it. It continues to be modern in the time that we're in uh-huh. as long as it's working. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have a die date on it, in, in my opinion. Uh, but I've had some awesome guys out there that uh, have just taken the time with me or for me and they don't have to, uh, but they, they just have. And, you know, some of them are younger than I am and, and that's okay. I mean, they've got experience level as much as mine in different places. I mean, good gosh, we're all over the country. I mean, uh, but I, I'll tell you, Lee, it's, it's a, uh, when something becomes your life, or at least to me, I have to understand for me that it'll never be done until, you know, I go meet some of the old guys, some other place. Yep. So, uh, but it's, but we all, if we're going to be a teacher, we need to take the responsibility to yeah. teach and to do it right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I never met uh, Ed in person. We were Facebook friends, you know, and in several different Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a project that I was working on here. He posted some some pictures or something in writing, and he was actually working on the same project, <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, on the other side of the country. And I just sent him a message. It's like, Hey, I saw that you're working on this, this, this one thing. and I'm working on it here. Uh, would you mind answering a few questions? And we bounced, bounced stuff across, you know, what are you seeing with this and everything else? And and I appreciated him taking the time to do that. Cause I'm just, you know, some well, electro- it, it, electrons yeah. coming on his phone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I never, He took time with me, uh, but then he he uh, he kind of left me on my own for that week, and I got nothing from him until the end. And it's like, oh man! And I, Jay Tuttle was also a coach in that class, and Jay Tuttle has been a huge mentor of mine mm-hmm. too. Uh, but I said, Jay, am I just messing this completely up? Ed hadn't said a word to me yet. And he goes better just count that as an okay thing right now. Cause if, if you did it wrong, you'd know. Uh, he said, yeah. you'd be off to the side range, having a sidebar with them and probably we'd all be here. So <laughs> I, I, I just took that silence as an okay thing. And then, uh, so he, he, he finally told me, he said, you did good. You're all right. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take that as a, as a pat on the head anytime. Well, there you go. He'll, he'll be missed. He will be. Yeah. Cause I would love to, rem- I would love to know, just the things that he forgot about this uh, uh, really would. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, Sheriff, I, I thank you for taking out the, uh, the time on this evening to sit down and have this chat. Uh, very glad we finally got to do this, you know, for, for everyone else to hear. We, we've had these conversations, but we, everybody else will finally get to see it. And thank you to your lovely wife for, for allowing you to do this tonight. And, yeah. uh, and for setting up everything. So thank you to her. And um, anything you would like to say in closing? No, I, th- I think we covered it, but just, you know, it, you can't stop. 
it never, it never stops and we can't stop and let it pass us if you're going to do it. Uh, so, you know, I don't know when my last time's coming and it really doesn't matter. I'll know it when it happens. And, but and, until that happens, I'm, I'm digging in with both feet on it. I'm going to try to get better with everyone and try to learn more from other people that are doing the same thing. Uh, but, and I, you know, you know, reach out to younger people because they're a little bit different mindset on things. And that's, that's what I got to allow myself to do is just, but you, you helped me out with that with Lane. And I, I really appreciate that. And I'm sure we'll be communicating more as time goes. And then one of these days I'd like to like to just uh, meet up with a guy somewhere, but, but, yeah. Well, uh, again, thank you for your time and thank you to your wife for, for allowing you to, to do this tonight. And to the audience, we thank you for your time because we know that is your biggest asset. And thank you for choosing to spend it with us.